Good morning. We're continuing our series this morning in the book of James, exploring the concept, the topic of devotion, a religion that is pure and faultless, what we've talked about as the beautiful life. It's a life where our relationship with God, the vertical, inevitably overflows into the horizontal. It transforms our relationship with others. And this morning, we're exploring how that should affect our relationships. You see, people are essentially social beings. We find our identity within community. We all have a need to belong. The term inclusion has become very uh, significant, popular, trendy even, within our society at this current time. It's almost one of our key dogmas, this idea that those who are marginalised uh, need to be brought into the centre. Marginalised because of issues of race, of gender, of socioeconomic class, of sexuality. Inclusion has become one of our highest virtues. And also, when we don't do it, one of our biggest vices. We talk about it more than ever. But I would like to suggest that we don't do it very well. In order to include, we exclude. In order to liberate, we end up oppressing others. All we've done is switched seats. To bring people in, we push other people out. Can inclusion be anything more than just a nice idea, just a dream? Well, long before Western society claimed the term, the Bible spoke of it. It is a biblical term. James writes this in James 2, chapter 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. James is telling us that showing favouritism to show partiality to include uh, some and exclude others is actually incompatible with our faith. So this morning we're going to explore how the gospel makes a difference, what resources the Christian has, and whether inclusion can be anything more than just a dream. So we're going to read now from the book of James, and I'm going to hand over to our Bible reader. Thanks, Cameron. Uh, our Bible reading this morning is from James chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, and then chapter 2, starting at verse 1 and going through to verse 13. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Chapter 2, verse 1. 
chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This morning we're going to be looking at our passage under three headings. The dream of inclusion, the nightmare of exclusion, and true inclusion. Firstly, the dream of inclusion. We all have a need to belong. It's a deep psychological need of all people to be known, to be acknowledged, to be accepted. Recently, Matt took us to the book of Genesis, and there we see that God designed us for relationship, both with him, but also essentially with one another. And we also saw that sin distorts this. It corrupts the relationship we have with him, but also with one another. And what we see is that our desire to belong, our desire to be included, we use that to exclude others. In order to have us, we make them. Humanity is essentially tribal. We've, we need our group. We've seen this in the Olympics recently, haven't we? You know, we want our people to win for no other reason that they are our people. And we want those people to lose for no other reason that they don't belong to our people. You could call this patriotism, but it's a short step from patriotism to nationalism and racism. And if you pick your characteristic, groups formed on any characteristics 
will always tend to include some, but inevitably exclude others. A group formed around gender can become sexist. A group formed around uh, a technical skill can become elitist. A Christian group can become moralistic and exclude others. The dark side is always there. Now, just take a step back. I want, I want to ask you a question. Is it possible for any group to be 100% inclusive? What do you think? I always like to suggest that it's not. It is simply not possible for a group to be 100% inclusive. You see, to be a group, it must have boundaries or it's not a group. In order to have an in, you must also inevitably have an out. A group that has no boundaries is, is not a group. And so when you think about it like that, you have to actually ask, is inclusion just a pipe dream? Is it possible? Perhaps. There are a couple of key questions that you've got to answer. Firstly, you've got to ask yourself, on what basis are you in and someone else is out? How is it that you belong in that group? That's the first question. And the second question is, how does that affect the way you relate to those who are outside the group? So, on what basis are you in? And how does that shape how you relate to those who are out? And so we have to actually ask, using that frame, is the church any different to any other group? And unfortunately, we'd have to say, not often. But it should be. And by God's grace, it can be. So let's now jump to our third point, looking at the problem, and then God's solution. The nightmare of exclusion. Now, what was happening in James's time? Let me read to you from chapter 2, verse 2 to 4. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What was happening was that they were showing favouritism or partiality. Literally, the word means to take the face. They were looking at the rich guy and saying, he's impressive. We better look after him. They were looking at the poor man and saying, he's insignificant. Let's not waste time. They're sucking up to the rich. 
And so when the rich guy walks in, they give him the seat of honour, but the poor guy gets told, you stand over there. Or, worse still, sit by my feet, a position of subservience. The rich guy is honoured. And the, tall guy, the, the poor guy, he's tolerated, but humiliated. So why are they doing this? Well, it's not really made explicit in the text, but we can deduce some possible reasons. James is writing to a church that has been scattered by persecution, that is poor and marginalised. In verses 6 and 7 of chapter 2, they're being actively persecuted by the rich. And in those days, as now, to be rich was to have power. And so you could imagine these people, they see the rich guy walk into their gathering, their meeting. And they think to themselves, we better keep this man happy. We better suck up to him. If he likes us, maybe he'll protect us. Or at the very least, maybe he won't harm us. Maybe at the root of what's happening here is they're searching for security and they're looking at it. This is someone from a worldly perspective who can keep us safe. The poor guy, well, he's got nothing to offer us on that front. We need to be kept safe. He can't do that. So why would we waste time? You can see it at the heart of this. It's not just a social issue. It's an issue of faith. Who do we trust to protect and provide? Well, that was James. What about us? Well, I would like to suggest, unfortunately, that we do the same. We honour some and we scorn others. And maybe, like James, the issues for us are around socioeconomics, but there are lots of other reasons why we have. Maybe we split around issues of age. We welcome some, we're comfortable with some, and reject others. Maybe it's around gender and sexuality. Maybe it's issues of mental health. Maybe it's issues of education, of appearance. And we use these criteria, these fault lines, and they divide our response. Some we welcome and others we don't. Some we honour and others we scorn. So how do we do this? Now, we don't do it like it happened in James's time. Our situation is different. We don't show some to a position of honour and say to others, stand in the corner. We're more subtle. We just ignore people. If we have to talk to them, we're polite, but we don't really let them in. We don't let them under the surface. We don't invite them into our lives. And as soon as we're able to, we politely excuse ourselves and move on to someone else. Ask yourself, there are those people, and they're probably people that you know from church, but you'd never say to them, why don't we catch up for a coffee? Why don't you come around for a meal? 
you're just simply not open to relate to them. Say hello at church, that's one thing. But share life, that's another. So why do we do this? Well, there can be lots of reasons why we could do this. For some, we are afraid that if we marginalise, if we exclude, if we uh, cut ourselves off from these people, they could do us real harm. They could see us excluded from community. We live in a culture that cancels people. But I would like to suggest that that's not a major issue for us here inside the church. Well, at least I hope not. I'd like to suggest that our issue probably isn't security, but comfort. See, I don't think we do discomfort well. When we meet someone who makes us feel uncomfortable, we just don't know how to work because we crave the affirmation that comes from relating to someone who is like us. They say that the greatest flattery is imitation. And so when we see ourselves reflected in others, we're flattered. We're affirmed. When we're with people like us, when we're with our tribe, we feel embraced. We feel affirmed. But when we come across someone who doesn't meet our criteria, we're uncomfortable. And it's very easy to make that step where we perceive being uncomfortable to being under threat, to move from uncomfortable to unsafe in our minds. Now, I need to just say briefly here, sometimes, unfortunately, there is real danger that uncomfortable leading to unsafe is actually the right thing. But mostly, that's not the case. And James has a word for his original listeners, his original readers, and for us. From verse 8 of chapter 2, he says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, one of the two great commandments that Jesus identifies, you do right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James warns us that not showing favouritism is not some optional extra. Being open to include, open to welcome, open to embrace others is not something that we get to pick and choose. God will judge. 
And he says in verse 13 that judgment without mercy will be shown to those who, who have not shown mercy themselves. What's James saying? That we're saved by works? No. But he says the implanted word will bear fruit. You may be familiar with the parable that the Lord Jesus told of the unmerciful servant, the guy that is forgiven by his king a debt of millions upon millions of dollars, a debt he could not possibly repay, but then goes and throws his fellow servant into jail to, because he can't pay a minuscule debt. And Jesus makes the point that it is completely incompatible. If you have received mercy, you extend mercy. And if you won't extend mercy, perhaps you've never understood what God has done for you. James is making the same point. When we understand that we have been welcomed by God, that through Christ we have been included, this will transform us. This will mean that we bend over backwards to include others. Which brings us to our last point. True inclusion. God in Christ stepped across a gap that is inconceivably greater than any gap that we have. Any barrier we feel, Jesus stepped over something infinitely larger. In Christ, God embraces the outcast. He embraces the leper. He welcomes the sinner. He shows love, mercy, compassion. He calls us home. He offers us inclusion in his family, that ultimate inner circle. He does this by he himself, the one who by rights belonged. He was cast out. He makes us children of his heavenly father at the cost of his exclusion. Christ on the cross called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was excluded as he bore the cost for our sin, so that we, by him, through him, might come home. And so we ask ourselves, when we think of the church, by what criteria do we belong? Well, the gospel teaches us that we belong by grace. Every other human organisation, we either belong by a personal characteristic or by our own merit. We're either born into something, this racial group, that family, or we earn our place, that sporting team, that workplace, that friendship group. But the church is different. We belong not because of any personal merit, but because of the personal merit of Christ himself. And we need to work out 
how this impacts how we relate to others. We need to live out the implications of this radical difference. This is where God has made a difference. This is why the church should be able to do something that the world really struggles with. We need to live the implications of the gospel. Let me give you three. We need to acknowledge that apart from Christ, we have nothing. James says this in chapter 1, verse 10. It's really a baffling thing when you think about it. He says to the rich that they should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. They should take pride in their humiliation, in their lowliness, in their low position. What does this mean? How do we understand this? We take pride that it is by grace. Our boast is Christ. It's not us. It's not our abilities. It's not our goodness or anything else. It is Christ that we rejoice in, that we boast in. We need to know that apart from Christ, we have nothing. But in Christ, we have everything. James writes, he speaks of the poor in verse 5 of chapter 2. He says, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? That's a promise not just for the poor, but especially for the poor. But all who has faith, all who love God because he loved us first, he's promised the kingdom. He's promised that we are secure, that we are loved. He's given us an identity as sons and daughters of God, an identity that is secure in Christ. The Lord Jesus has given us rest for our souls because we don't have to strive. He's brought us home. So how does this transform our relationships with others? How does it affect those relationships we have with those who are on the outside? Those who aren't like us? James tells us that God calls us to show mercy. We were excluded. Sinners under God's right judgment and in Christ he has brought us in through Christ he has given us everything we are called as we have been shown mercy as we have been included to extend that inclusion to others as God has embraced us in Christ he calls us to embrace others we are in, not because of our merit, but because of Christ. So our boast is Christ. It is not by works. There's no pride. It makes us humble, or it should. Which means that we share a radical unity. Because it's not our merit. It's not our characteristics. If someone else is in Christ, they are brothers and sisters with us. 
and we should be welcoming them. If someone comes in who is not one of us, we should show them that welcome. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter how they dress. It doesn't matter whether they're like us or radically different. God in Christ has welcomed us. And so we should welcome others, not just with the superficial hello, but with an openness and a preparedness to do life together. How do we deal with those who remain outside, who won't join us? Perhaps those who are opponents? Well, this tells us that we deal with them graciously, lovingly, gently, because we have a radical security in Christ. Regardless of what they say, they cannot threaten our standing in Christ. So we don't need to feel threatened that they disagree with us, that they say horrible things about us, because it cannot touch who we are in Christ. We need to live the implication of the gospel, which means that when they, when they hurl scorn, when they reject, when they exclude, we don't have to do the same. We can return love in the face of hate, welcome in the face of rejection, compassion in the face of hard, hard words, hard life. We don't need to fight to maintain our identity, our group, because we have perfect belonging in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we need to live out the gospel. And as that gospel takes root in our life and bears fruit, we will be the most inclusive of all people. Brothers and sisters, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Speak and act as those saved by the gospel of grace.